Hello, I'm Lieutenant Colonel Sam Padman from the Centre for Australian Army Leadership and welcome back to another episode of the Australian Army Leadership Program, a podcast series, the official podcast of the COW. Uh, on this episode, uh, we're very fortunate uh, to be hosting another non-uniformed guest, uh, this time leadership coach Tom Harkin. Uh, Tom joins us today via the phone uh, from Victoria. Tom is the founder of Tomorrow's Architects, a consulting firm specialising in behavioural change, leadership development and organisational transformation. He's been invited to conduct leadership interventions, workshops and training with IKEA, NAB, Telstra, Red Bull, Channel 10, the Melbourne Football Club and many more. Uh, Tom also came and presented and was a facilitator uh, for our 2019 pre-command course where he focused on developing social capital within the Australian Army. Building upon that, Tom's focus is on building rapid social capital, breakthrough leadership and team performance, along with emotional agility, enhanced culture and resilience, just to name a few. Uh, Tom, thank you again very much for your time today and uh, welcome to the podcast series. No worries, Sam. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Uh, fantastic. And um, Tom, uh, we had some stellar feedback from your support to the pre-command course uh, last year, in particular the leaders that we had there uh, on how they might go forward uh, this year and next to uh, develop social capital within their team. So we might build upon that today, mate, and I'll look to garner your thoughts on, on how we best do that. Brilliant. So, Tom, uh, if I can start with one, mate. For those who haven't heard the term social capital before, can I ask you to really unpack that for us and explain what it is, mate? Yeah, brilliant. Um, so I guess uh, an existing construct or schema for people uh, is trust. You know, So some people say, well, why do you say social capital? You could just say trust. Yeah. Um, the reason we talk about social capital is because we use the analogy of money in the bank. So, you know, if, if you, Sam, and I have a, you know, shared bank account with both of our names as authorities on it, there's yeah. no money in it. I don't really care a whole lot about, I don't care a whole lot about what you do and you don't care a whole lot about what I do. We're not deeply invested. Yes. But if there's a million dollars in there and either of us could withdraw at any time, we take this, you know, much deeper care for, okay, I need to understand Sam. I need to understand what you're thinking and where you're going to go and I'm, I'm more deeply invested. Um, and we can make withdrawals from our relationship bank account if we've got a built-up capital in it. Yes. And so it's really about saying, how much have I invested in the human-to-human -human relationship that I have with you, Sam, that, that one, makes me stay in your head um, and in your heart a little bit um, and you've got an investment in a, in a good outcome happening for me and vice versa. So there's reciprocity there. We've kind of built up our shared bank account. We've got investment there. And so we can push the relationship a bit harder than, than a usual relationship. We can actually have a really dynamic relationship where we can, you know, say the uncomfortable things at times. We'll, we'll, we'll go further for each other. Um, and put ourselves at times in adversity on each other's behalf because we're so deeply invested in a relationship. Of so that's course. The, that's the gist of social capital. Yeah, okay. So then, Tom, as a leader, I want to focus on the leader uh, and then I'll go to the follower behaviours. Uh, as a leader, how would we go about developing social capital within the team? Yeah, it's a good question. So... Um, 
for starters, I think it's about taking away function for a moment and yeah. and looking at, okay, for a moment, I'm just going to park everything that we need to do together. I'm going to park the doing side of the relationship yep. and I'm going to invest in the being side of the relationship so that we can kind of connect up first and then we can motor on. So in some ways, it's a bit go slow in order to go twice twice as fast. Okay. Um, can I get you to unpack it, that a bit more for me? So go yeah. slow in order to go twice as fast. That's, that's intriguing. Yeah. So um, if... If you and I were to meet each other straight off the bat and we had to do, um, we had to, you know, operate together and function together, um, you know, we often we'd be tempted to move straight into problem solving and execution. Yes. Um, but if we spend a little bit of time, and, and it can be a little bit of time, like this is a rapid recipe once you understand how it actually works, but a little bit of time going, hey, I just want to sync up with you so that I get how you operate, you get how I operate, and we've got a little bit of investment in each other's greater good. Yep. Create transparency. So I see under the cover of you a little bit, and you see under the cover of me. So I don't need to play a guessing game about whether you're a safe person or an unsafe person. Okay, yeah. Once you've got that safety piece, then, then you can focus on the task wholly because I don't need to be second-guessing who I'm doing it with, if that makes sense, and whether they've really got my back. Or yeah. whether they've got their own agenda. Of course. So that's that's the go slow piece. Can we sync up first and then move forward? If we're talking literally, like what's the tactical recipe for that? Yeah. It is literally kind of uh, slowing down. Okay. So having an interaction where um, often we talk about the table tennis conversation. So you know, how I yep good. You know, how's the weather? Yep good. You know, kind of. Um, you know, this back and forth conversation that we do that's often yeah. at rapid speed. Yeah. And so the first thing that we do and the way that we train it and trained it in the pre-command course is just sit down and ask your partner how they are and and give them two minutes to answer the question uninterrupted and then you do the same. Yeah, okay. Um, and for a lot of people that's, you know, quite uncomfortable at first because they're not used to it. They're used to that rapid back and forth. But often yes. what people say out of the back of it is, wow, in two minutes, it's incredible how much you can get to understand a person. They also generally say, it's amazing how much you've, you you can find that you've got in common once you breach the surface and you get a bit you know, in, into some depth. And that goes towards um, building a, a shared awareness and a shared almost vulnerability with each other. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, it's funny, like on the surface, like we're all mongrels by nature as human beings. Like it's incredible when you, you know, you've got 100,000 people in the MCG and you'd be pressed to find two people that look identical to each other. Yeah. So on the surface as human beings, we actually look quite different from each other. Um, but as soon as you scratch the surface, there's so many universal commonalities that actually have us in the same tribe. But you'd have to be a mind reader to guess a lot of those. Yeah, certainly. And so if you're able to slow down and, and somebody says how, how they are and, you know, like you've got two minutes to answer it. So here I am going, yeah, you know, I'm going pretty well. COVID's giving me a nice chance to connect with my two little boys and mm-hmm. um, and, and my wife and I'm missing my family. They live in Dallas. So, you, you know, you or listeners might find themselves going, oh, yeah, I relate to some of those things. 
Yeah. You know, maybe I've got little boys and, you know, maybe it's been challenging in the past for me to have connections with them, but this year's offered that silver lining. So suddenly you're like, okay, so we're a bit in the same boat, you know, we're a bit in the same tribe um, and maybe more so than I thought. And now that we've linked up at a base level, now we can kind of launch into the activity as a team rather than two separate entities. And I suppose, Tom, that would take a um, – to sort of build that go slow, that common understanding and a shared awareness there, uh, a good amount of active listening as well to actually take on board what the other is saying. Entirely. So the kind of uh, five-part recipe that we give is slow down, yep. investigate the lens, investigate the lens of the other person. I'll talk to you about that in a moment. Yeah, then you. give the detail. Ask the second and third question and then acknowledge the value. That's kind of the five-part recipe that we give. Yes. And I guess to give a one-liner on each of them, and then you can lead me if you want to deep dive on any of them, we've done a bit of slow down. It's literally slow down, be heard, be seen, and hear and feel what the other person is saying. So that active listening piece that you just kind of flagged. Yep. Investigating the lens of the other person is, you know, you and I are going to show up at a situation, whether it's, you know, the base or our workplace or um, wherever it is that we're meeting. We're both going to see the experience through a vastly different lens because it'll be informed by our life experience. Um, but often we we can forget that quite quickly, you know, even for uniformed people, you know, at the base, they might go, well, we're both in the uniform, we're both here, so we're both seeing the same command course, say. Mm. Um, but the reality is very different than that. They're going to be looking at vastly different things because of their life lens and the way that they focus on different areas. Um, and so it's really important to say, hey, what's your lens? Like you're, you're showing up, we're about to work on this problem or achieve this thing together. I, just, I want to know what informs your lens and the way that you're going to look at this. I want to know what you bring to the table through your life experience. And that's a fascinating the, point that you raised there before, yeah. if I can sort of jump in there before we go into the yeah, next uh, step, Tom. Investigating the lens because we speak in our Army Leadership Program about uh, understanding that within your team you have different members who are differently motivated, different backgrounds, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it, it's not always safe to assume that by virtue of wearing the same uniform that we're all thinking, acting or responding the same or that we all have the same lens as you as you mentioned. So I suppose if I can... Entirely. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the examples that we give is... Um, and, you know, you would have seen this at the pre-command course, but we, we show a kind of a, a movie trailer and it's this, you know, clip of about 40 different little images and movies. And um, we ask people at the end, what, what particular image or vignette stood out to you? And the, the, the different array of responses that people give, what, what it is that their attention goes to and what they fixate on in the clip, Yep. is is so vast and it's all there's always a good reason for why people pick things so i ran it last week and this guy goes oh it was the lanterns going up in the air from the beach because i've been at that festival oh, over okay. um in asia and and he said you know i've seen these ornate you know flower 
um, reeds floating down the river. It's quite a festival. I've actually been there twice, you know. Yep. Um, and and another woman said, you know, it was the mum on the on the bed with the two kids, and and so you know, our life lens is really powerful. It creates this confirmation bias where we, you know, our brain is set up to fixate on the things that we have reference points for. And sometimes what that means is we discount the things that we don't have a reference point for. Right. Um, and so it's really important to hear from people because you've got this great, you've got diversity, you know, when you've got multiple people. So you've got multiple people spotting different things. Certainly. Um, and when we assume that everybody's seeing what we're seeing, um, we, you kind of get a limited view of the world. Um, and so it's important just to say, hey, what are you seeing? Let me not assume that, you know, you're seeing it exactly the way I am. Yeah, certainly. No, that, that, that's fascinating. Um, and then, Tom, before I jumped in there, you're about to step onto the, the, well, the next stage, the third the stage. The third step. Yeah. Yeah, so the third step is really about giving the detail. Um, and, and I think in many ways it's the most powerful for building social capital. So giving the detail is, um, often we, when we tell people about who we are or even just tell them a story, um, generally we, we generalize. And one of the reasons we generalize is because we don't want to slow people down. Okay. We don't want to take up, we don't want to take up their time. We don't want to bore people. Um, but when we generalize and I'll give you an example, um, say somebody said to me, oh, what's been the silver lining of lockdown? I've kind of mentioned it already, but Mm. I said, oh, you know, time with the family and that's a generalized way to describe it. It's hard for you to actually get inside that. And so if I said, well, let me take you inside, let me give you some detail. I'll give you a moment that really sums it up for me. And I would say, um, well, at the moment, you know, usually I'm 70 flights a year, say, um, and I, you know, don't spend a whole lot of time in my own bed, unfortunately. Well, this year I have. And if I was to sum it up in a moment, um, I, uh, we, we, we've got a, you know, decent sized bed, a king bed. Um, and, and for most of the night, I get a fair chunk of it, but I've got a four year old and a seven month old. <laughs> And at about 3 a.m. every morning, the, the seven-month-old wakes up and comes into our bed. So I get shuffled over a little bit. Yep, yep. Um, and it always wakes up River, our four-year-old. And so I hear him, you know, he tends to walk on his heels. So I hear him clumping, thumping along <laughs> the floorboards in the dark. And he comes around to my side of the bed. And he taps me and pushes me and then I have to roll over and he, you know, rolls in next to me. And so for the last few hours of the night, I'm sandwiched in the sauna between <laughs> uh, River, Paige and August. Yep. Um, and, but, you know, I always said to Paige, I'm never going to let those kids in the bed. We're never going to be co-sleepers kind of thing. Yes. Yep. Um, and she says to me, well, you love it. I know you, you're like, you said we would never do it. And you're the one making it happen. But, and she's right. Like, I actually love it. I'm like, oh, this is, this is something nice. I don't usually get to do this, but that would be it. Like, every morning that happens. And I haven't had that, um, for years. And if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't have had it. So yeah, in giving the detail, what happens is the listener gets to recreate that moment for themselves. Mm-hmm. You can't actually help it. Our, neuro- our neurology as human beings is built 
to internally recreate that moment. So you probably would have pictured, you know, my bedroom or my kids um, and they don't look like that, but that yeah. doesn't matter yeah. because you've recreated in your head, your brain lights up as though you're having the experience. Of so course. you're literally walking in my shoes with me. Yeah. And, and it did, um, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, and it's like, it's, it's fun. You know what I mean? Like when people tell each other stories in this way and we finish up and we go, how, what was it like hearing those stories? Everybody's buzzing. Yeah, people are like, right. Oh, you know, I caught the emotion. It was infectious. You know, I really rode the waves of that and I could imagine, I could see the whole thing. It really took me into it kind of thing. Um, and that's where human connection lives. Yes. You yeah. know, when, when you really get to, to have an emotional experience and you get to see, hear and feel it, then it's really sticky. It's, it'll be a long time before you forget that. If anybody said, oh, you know, remember that podcast that you did with Tommy told your story, odds mm. are you'd be able to recall that story. And you yeah. ask yourself, well, in all of, you know, the my waking time throughout my days, how many of, of, of the things that people say to me do I truly remember? And you start to realize, all right, well, to build social capital and stay with a person in a meaningful way um, to really have shared something with them that doesn't go away. Well, if I could do that in just a couple of minutes, um, that's that's a pretty valuable spend of time. If I take two minutes to share it, yeah. but it stays with them for years, well, I mean, that's a huge investment. And that's the slow down to go faster yeah. in the relationship piece. No, exactly. Um, um, so that's the give the detail piece. The other thing on that is if the speaker, if the person that's telling the story relives that moment, they go back to that moment. And, and so they stop kind of, uh, putting up this, this veneer that sometimes we put up in protection. Yes. Um, you actually go out of the room that you're in with that person for a moment. You, you, you're back in the bed, you're back reliving this experience and they see you in the middle of something that you care about. Um, and so the, 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 wit the witness or the listener, they, they get to, you know, see an unguarded version of you and that's very disarming. Um, and and builds trust very fast. It also builds reciprocity. Okay. Yeah. A lot of people will say, "Oh wow, like what you just shared with me, that's got weight, that's got value." And so you feel like it's a gut feeling. You feel impelled to share something back of greater or equal value. Of course. Because you feel like, wow, you really kind of trusted me with something there, you know? Like, and and so I feel, I just feel impelled to give you something back. Um, and that's incredibly valuable, valuable, obviously, in a relationship. That recip just instinctive reciprocity, not forced, not I feel I have to, but I just feel emotionally impelled to want to match you, you know. And it's um, all done rapidly too, isn't it? I mean, the, the examples so you've given there, you know, if, if a leader took the time uh, with their subordinates or their followers or their team, mm -hmm. you know, had the conversation, um, did the active listening, um, shared yeah. – parts you know shared vulnerability there or, or shared common yep. understanding uh listen to what came back and then mm. you know sort of revisited that next time as well so if you've shared your children's name with me or your, your wife's name yep. page you know you can mm -hmm. then refer back to that and all of a sudden you keep reinforcing that bond uh, and we'll talk Entirely. about building tough bonds later on um yep. and then it's a, it's a almost a quick win, isn't it? And then once you start building that trust, you then put more money back in the bank, which is your social capital, mm -hmm. as you mentioned earlier. 
Um, yeah. And then you're on your way towards building a strong basis. So when we then in the army ask our teams to go and do hard tasks, you know, then we've mm. got that support. Yeah, exactly. And and I think one of the other things that come with it, and I know that you've spoken to Dr. Gemma King. Yes, um, yeah. She talks about this a bit, but, um, you know, the, the natural humour in a good story, yep. you know, the kind of like, you know, as I was telling that, you were laughing along probably like, yeah, relating to losing your bed and, you know, all of that kind of stuff to kids. Yep. But, yep. you know, humour, you know, has been researched as, you know, a bit of a love drug in a way. Um, and if you can laugh together, then you get these natural kind of chemical uh, releases of oxytocin and bonding hormone that, that knits people together. So to be able to tell a kind of meaningful, open, self-deprecating, revealing story, mm. um, they are lightning quick ways um, yep. to tell the body, okay, this is a this is a moment to trust as a person to trust. You know, chemicals are releasing in me. I'm becoming connected to this person, mm-hmm. feeling you know endeared to them, and all of that kind of stuff. The other thing that can be really powerful about it is if you get good at it. Um, there's so many stories that we live every day, but we rarely capture them. Yeah, true. So yep. you, you know, that was one moment in my life. But you know, your life and my life, just between the two of us, we just got like this insane immeasurable number of little moments like that and they're lived experiences so they're not hearsay it's not a quote i read in a book it's a lived experience which is more powerful than anything else and if you get really good at it then if you're leading a team and you want to do two things at once you want to build the connection amongst the team and particularly with you but also you want to send them a clear message on where the team needs to go to next or a leap that they need to make, then you can tell a story that's layered with a message and then it's much easier for that person, again, to retain this sticky message through a really good story than it is to retain it through like an analog instruction, if you like, you know, reading the words on a page is quite hard to take in the meaning of the message. Yeah, yeah. As an example... Yeah, contextualizing, exactly. As an example, I used, um, we had a workshop last week with a bunch of leaders from a company and, and one of the women shared this story of, of a moment of hers. She said, oh, I had this moment with my teenage son. Uh, I was in the hallway at our house and he was telling me something that he'd gotten up to with his mates. Yes. Yep. And, and I found myself, you know, having these kind of two emotional experiences. She said, one of the things I was feeling was pride, like pride of, wow, I've done something right in this parenting game for my kid to stand in front of me and tell me this. Yes, yeah. You know, he's really not holding back. He's really telling me what he's gotten up to here. And secondly, I was feeling fear. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just kind of going, oh, my God, like, what is he up to? And she said, you know, I was having this experience of like I was saying to my stay cool, stay cool, yeah, cool, <laughs> don't don't lose it here, you know. And um and I said to her, you know, that that story, that's a great story to tell a team about trying to create an environment of psychological safety. Yes. Yeah. Where people trust each other enough to tell each other scary things mm-hmm. and the leader has enough self-awareness 
to be able to hold space for uncomfortable truths to sit in the room so you can really start to solve things. You know, the worst thing that could happen is that she thinks, you know, or her son thinks, you know, mum's going to judge me, berate me, you know, whatever if I tell her the truth. So I'm actually not going to tell her the truth of what goes on for me. Yeah, because you're fearing the consequence. Um, Exactly. And if you can't find out the details of the current reality, how can you actually solve it? And, exactly. and create a better outcome. So, so telling a really you know visceral story like that that she's experienced sucks you right in. You're in the hallway. You listen to this guy. Oh my god! You know, it's great that he's telling me this stuff, but it's also you know scaring me. And I want to jump in and solve it or fix it or tell him not to do it. Um, and you know, you tell that story and you say that's the kind of environment. So I hope that at some point I'm hearing you and you're telling me something because you trust me. Yeah. And I hope, you know, that I have the moment of kind of going, okay, this is making me uncomfortable because I do want to solve this. But but I'm proud that we've got the environment where we can really say when things go wrong mm. so that we can actually get a solve here. So it can be it can be kind of like a, a multiplication of value when you get really good at it. You're building deep bonds, but you're also sending really sticky messages that stay with your people. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. So then, Tom, where to after after giving the detail? What, what's the next step? So the the final two pieces is really about eliciting the detail. So okay. if somebody's not practicing this and they're generalizing with you, how do you get them into the moment? And gotcha. the easiest way is to ask the second and third question. So depth over distance is the principle. Um, okay. Often. We topic jump on the first question. Yeah. Uh, you know, tell me, tell me about yourself. Have you got kids? Yeah, I've got kids. I've got two. Oh, brilliant. And uh, where did you grow up? You know, oh, grew up practicing. Oh, brilliant. Um, yeah, so we topic jump. And we topic jump to protect, you know, ourselves and the other person because we don't want to seem that we're prying. And so often, you know, we're getting to know somebody. Tell me, like, do you have kids? Yep, we've got two. Oh, brilliant. You know, and, and where are you from? You know, I'm from Frankston, you know, Victoria. Oh, okay, brilliant. And, um, you know, do you have passions? Yeah. So we, we keep momentum going because, right. again, we don't, don't want to slow things down. Because if you slow things down, it can get a little bit revealing, a bit uncomfortable. But that's where the value lies. And so the challenge is how do I get comfortable with slowing it down in a way that people get seen and heard but make it a good experience? Yeah, Second and third question helps us to do that. And so if you say, you know, you know, do you have kids? Yeah, I've got two. Um, oh, brilliant. Like, are they, like are they, what are their ages, you know? And, oh, well, I've got a seven-month-old. I've got mm. a, a you know, four-year-old. Yeah, right. Do they have, like, would you say that they've got the same personality? How would you describe their personality, you know? I go, well, River is the biggest kid emotionally that I've ever met. Like he just fills a room, you know, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. we had a family call last night and it was my birthday and we had all the family on the call and he literally ran the whole call, four-year-old. <laughs> like, <laughs> he was like, oh, Seamus, you've popped onto the call. Hey, Seamus, hey, you know, and hey, what's that in the background? I mean, like just, he was just running the show, whereas Augie was just all smiles. He's just a chiller. Yeah, you know? okay. And then you go, oh, okay, well, you know, interesting. Third question, you know, who who would you say that you're most like? Mm. You know, you, mm. you, so I'd say, well, I'm probably more of an orgy type. You know, I'm probably more of an introvert, more of a chiller. I'd look back at things. I'm, I'm in awe of River in many ways. Like, you know, I'm kind of in awe of his courage and the way he just 
you know, bounces off the world and interacts with it. So you see how asking the second and third question teaches you to get to depth over distance. You don't don't need to keep asking new topics. Just go, you know, deep on one topic and it's profound how much you get to understand a person. And then Tom, that um, depth over distance, you know, goes back to uh, building the bond, doesn't it? So it starts to make exactly. that bond a bit tougher. So you're, you're sharing That's now it. a bit of depth over distance. And then when it comes yeah. your time to share, you know, if you're cognizant of doing something similar, then what we had as an initial bond, we're starting now strengthen. Exactly, exactly. So when you're in a situation that's more... You know, in most conversations that we'll have, they'll be pretty fast-paced and generalised. Yes. And if yep. you want to take it a bit deeper, then just practising the art of the second or third question. And then the final one is acknowledgement. Okay. Acknowledging the value. So when somebody does something new, it's often vulnerable and they don't necessarily have existing data points to tell them whether that was a good thing they did or not. Mm-hmm. And so if you find yourself in a conversation where you're building some incremental intimacy and people are opening up a little bit and they're sharing a bit more than they usually would, well, you want them to get pretty immediate data points that tell them that that was a good experience so that they can replicate it and repeat it. Yes. Um, yeah. You don't you don't want to leave them hanging. And so um, the acknowledgement piece is really important just to be able to say, hey, here's the value that I got out of you sharing that either this is what I related to or this is, you know, what was intriguing. You taught me something, you know, that's completely new to me. Um, you know, it could be anything, but what was the value that came out of that and how do I clearly make sure that you know that there was value in it? So they go, okay, wow. All right. Well, there's a bit of a different, conversation but hearing mm. the value that came out of it and then you've got the intangible value which is i just kind of feel safer with you i just kind of feel you know more bonded with you um it, it's important that people get that positive reaffirmation so they're like, okay i'm going to keep doing this yeah yeah certainly so tom that's that's all the positives of, of building trust and rapport within the team you know and, and some fantastic um, I suppose examples there of what our listeners could go away now as leaders and as followers, you know, practice and, and trial within their organisations and get better at. If I can, while I've got time with you today, what are some of the downsides of not doing this? So if trust is a dividend, you know, the more we have, the more money in the bank, for example, going to your analogy, the quicker we can get things to do, the more invested we are. When an organisation doesn't have social capital, doesn't have trust, um, what are some of the pitfalls? Yeah, it's a good question. So, I mean, the, the major pitfall is um, you lose efficiency of effort and output. Okay. Um, and what I mean by that is um, often um, uh, Amy Edmondson uh, has done a lot of work on psychological safety, and when you've got when you've got really good social capital built, you've got this kind of psychologically safe environment. Um, and and what she would say is, in most organisations and groups of people, um, if there's not psychological safety, there's not high social capital, then people are doing two jobs. They're doing the job that they're employed to do or tasked to do, yep. and the second job that they're doing is impression management. Oh, okay. And the, and the impression management is based on trying to keep up 
the image of themselves with the people around them because they know that people are judging. They don't trust people and they feel that there's, a, there's a lack of safety. So they're kind of watching their back in a way the whole time. Yeah. And that takes a whole lot of mental and emotional energy. And so you've got this sunk cost, you know, like really in an ideal world, you want people all of their energy and attention to be able to be purely focused on the task and the job and, and the goals of the organization. Of course. Um, you want people to play, play all out, you know, um, and play all out together. And when you don't have trust, when you don't have social capital, um, then, then you, you, you've got everybody putting all, all this emotional and psychological effort into keeping up appearances and, and, and maintaining their own safety and protection. Yeah, um, yeah. And so you, you want to get rid of all that so that people, you know, aren't wasting energy on that. And then in a time, the if I can yeah. jump in there, Tommy, then I suppose on yeah, a time and space side of the house there, you know, the, the higher the trust, the higher the dividend, the quicker things get done. Uh, and conversely, as you just mentioned there, you know, the lower the trust, the more impression management uh, you're doing, you know, yeah. and the less productivity is occurring in the organisation. And for us in the Army, Time is a very valuable resource, you know, and mm. we need to get after things there. So I suppose it'll come back to that as well. Exactly. And I think everybody can picture, you know, a time or put themselves back into a room where they've been with a certain team and it's just mm. not gelling. Yeah. And, yep. and it kind of it feels stilted, you know, and you're just kind of like, oh, man, everything feels hard with this team. It just, it's not flowing properly. And then you've got a team where you've got really high social capital. Yep. And it just feels fluid. It's like, hey, because we've made the upfront investment in our social capital, we don't need to do that small talk stuff. Like we can just roll on. You know, we can make requests of each other and we can get it done and it just just motors, you know. Yes. Yep. Um, the other thing that I was going to talk about that you lose out on is when you don't have social capital and trust and transparency, you, your impression managing, so you're trying to guess whether the person's safe or unsafe. But on top of that, it means that you withhold valuable information. Yes. So you you end up not sharing um, contentious ideas or problems that are that, that you know that could become bigger problems if they're not called out properly. Um, and so you lose out on the diversity of the group's insights, and so you don't get breakthroughs. You don't get as you know as good a material to be able to work out what's our next step moving forward. Um, yeah, and and so that, yeah, effort. You know that that kind of like pure effort where it's just like oh we're we're really motoring here as a fluid team. And then the second one is the value of people's insights actually getting to the table so you can find the best way forward. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, a very salient point there for our listeners to take away, Tom. You know, a big task for us is building those. Um, agile teams rapidly mm. that they can get after the task in a wide range of environments you know and if we can build the yeah. social capital as you've mentioned today quickly you know that will then build our dividend in the bank uh, we can then have the trust mm-hmm. between the team to, to then get after it um, so yeah. um, Tom thank you for your time today and, and for sharing uh, all of that with us on building social capital uh, we really appreciate your insights here, um, a wealth of experience, you know, and a wealth of, of development you've done with some high-performing organisations and also with us here through our pre-command course to date. Um, of particular, Tom, you know, 
you mentioned there today, going slow to move fast, you know, and the five steps of doing that, you know, slowing down, investigate the lens, giving the detail, uh, then eliciting the detail where required, so the second and third question. Uh, and then once that's shared, you know, between the two, um, acknowledging the value of that so that you build that uh, ongoing social capital. So, Tom, mate, thank you again for your time today. It's been great having you back on the show. No worries at all. Thanks for having me. That's it. Um, to our listeners, unfortunately, that's all we have time for today and we look forward to you joining in for our next um, podcast series under the Australian Army Leadership Program.